and Silk the Shockers cream. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. We're back, and uh, boy, it's been a minute. Yep. We, like. had to, we had to take a sabbatical after the David Gregory episode. It was just too much going on. <laughs> so one of us disappeared to Kansas and had a just a real interesting time there. Um, <laughs> You know, yep. and then the other one started working at a dog hotel, so it's been a, a weird couple weeks. So as we're recalibrating our head <laughs> for future episodes, we're gonna we're gonna as we've been doing, we're gonna really have a nice smooth coasting episode today talking about some fun stuff. But before we do that, as always, we have three news items that we just have to get to because everyone wants to talk about it. Uh, first, we're finally getting uh, the the standalone Velma movie, <laughs> um, but Scooby Doo's not in it, and she's Indian American, I guess, because Mindy Kaling's doing it and changing her to an Indian American character. So it makes sense to just have it be a Velma movie. This this makes total sense. We don't need to explain it to you all. Is it like just fully origin story and we're like never going to see Velma doing the shit we love Velma for doing? We know. Uh, You know, I've been wondering because I only (laughs) look at these headlines. I don't really read. So I, uh, (laughs) I just, I look at it and I'm thinking like, Hmm, what, what could this be? My guess is it's probably trying to do some like, uh, like Riverdale thing. Oh yeah. But she's Indian. Yeah. Well, Hey, bring in my, I mean, I fucking love Riverdale, but bring in my Queen Allison Anders, who directs all the best episodes of those. Yeah. And if he's directing this, then I'll, uh, you know, I'll be more excited. <laughs> I bet it's said in the article, but I'm not going to look it up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's such a stoner idea, though, I got to say. Like, that sounds like people who, like, got together and had, like, a substantial amount of weed for the first time in their life. And like everyone's starting to fall asleep and the last person awake who doesn't realize no one's listening is just like, guys, what if like Velma, but no Scooby-Doo, man. Like, wouldn't that be fucking crazy? Yeah. And she has to deal with her religious parents. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm in. I'm in on that. Um, also, another upcoming movie that I think is really going to shake Hollywood to its core. We have... I mean, now going for her three-peat, and if she doesn't win an Oscar for this, um, Carrie Mulligan, fresh off of doing the hit film Suffragette and Promising Young Woman, uh, she's now doing uh, some movie about the people who broke the Harvey Weinstein story with everyone's favorite granddaughter of everyone's favorite rat fuck, Elia Kazan, uh, we have. And they're, uh, they're taking down Harvey Weinstein. All right. And 
What what do you say about that? You got my ticket. Yep. Sold. I don't know, man. To be to be out of character, out of character and genuine for a moment. <laughs> uh, you know that movie from a couple of years back, The Assistant. I thought was actually pretty great. I do recall the the assistant was pretty good. So I'm not sure what we need. <laughs> yeah, I don't. What more we need here? Oh, it looks like we might have a guest. Oh, Keith, are you in here already? Hi. Whoop! There I am. Hi. Hey. We're running down the news right now. Uh, okay. We've, we've, we've talked about the uh, Indian Scooby Doo <laughs> movie coming out. We've discussed Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan taking down Harvey Weinstein. Uh-huh. Finally. And now, now we're on to uh, the movie everyone's watched this week, uh, In the Heights. Just uh, is very funny because Lynn Manuel Miranda is currently apologizing for. Uh, it's just funny because Lynn <laughs> Manuel Miranda, the guy who gave us this, the fucking Hamilton thing, and Moana. Oh right, and Moana, yeah, Mister Everyone's Favorite, like probably like a sex nerd, you know. <laughs> And this guy's out here just like not biting his lip anymore. Just, you know, out there apologizing for, I guess it's not, I didn't, again, I don't read these articles. I just like seeing that he had to apologize. Yeah. It's like, it's basically, he has very little nuance on Afro Latinx and it's a very nuanced section, especially of Washington Heights. Um, and it's just funny because I mean, the, how old is In the Heights? Like as a musical, it's it's, it's been around for a minute, right? Yeah, it's been around. Yeah. So then it's like, oh, let's wait till he makes a movie and then be like, <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I know the last, you know, the last year and the last two years have been very like people suddenly being like, oh yeah, that's not cool. Like that's direct <laughs> how you approach that. But at the same time, it's just and and it, it yeah that unfortunately like zigged everyone because like even Rita Moreno had to talk about it and then she got herself in hot water because she was like I just wish people wouldn't see color they're just like why are you saying this and you were in West Side Story which mm, (laughs) there's there's some issues (laughs) yeah yeah. West Side Story yeah Um, which which at least will get the Spielberg West Side Story maybe this will wipe the slate clean for the musical crowd but maybe we'll see (laughs) It, it looks like a movie, whereas In the Heights didn't seem like a movie. I haven't watched it. I haven't either. Yeah. yeah. I'm a really bad sucker for musicals. Kind of like horror movies, like horror movies and musicals, even if it's the worst shit, I kind of love it. You know? <laughs> Last guest. Hi, Teresa. We've hey. just been talking. We've been talking In the Heights. Uh, Will <laughs> loved it. He's telling us all that we have to see it. He just did one of the songs. Yep, sorry, we missed it. <laughs> Can I pee real quick before we do this? Yeah. No, you have, to, you have to hold it for 90 minutes. That's going to be the, the tension. We get a better will when he has to pee. <laughs> well, now that we've gotten our, our movie news section out of the way, we can move on to a much healthier part of the episode um how are you both doing today doing okay yeah it's been like unbearably hot the last few weeks here in denver and then we're maybe cooling down just for a brief spell yesterday was really nice and it is right now too yeah i mean Mm -hmm. tomorrow's supposed to be like 70 degrees which i'm excited for thank god 
Yeah. But then it's like right back up to a hundred right after that. So yeah, it's been fucked up. It's like you can't even go outside. Yesterday we, you know, almost getting nailed by fireworks also wasn't like because we the the with the Puerto Rican Day Parade is like the hub of it is like right next to our apartment. So yeah, trying to get to the corner store yesterday was was a bit of a mess, but now that the smoke's cleared today in Chicago. We're back. I yeah. love your dead ringer shirt. Oh, thanks. Thank you. I had to, I busted this out of the back of the closet today. So, because <laughs> both of you with your dead ringers and your Mahakal shirt, yes. too, Will. <laughs> I've been wearing it as much as I can in public just so people will ask and I can get more people to watch it. Yep. <laughs> I'm also trying to get the, the dead ringers out there. No one's talking about this David, this guy, David Cronenberg. So, <laughs> he's, he's pretty good. Yeah. All right. We'll see what he does with his career. <laughs> Although I must say, I the only news like that I don't like laugh at in the movie world these days is literally the, the we're getting another David Cronenberg with yeah. Katie Stu. Man. And Brandon's doing a fucking series. Oh yeah. Oh. Yeah. Uh, uh, J.P. Ballard adaptation miniseries. Yes. Sounds like in the family. Okay. Yeah, fucking. Okay. He is his father's son. <laughs> yes. I just saw Possessor, so I, uh, I I wasn't as crazy about antiviral, but I, I liked I liked Possessor a lot. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a I'm a little flip. Like antiviral now over the years has kept coming up for me, and Possessor I'm not as excited about, but I also think it'll probably just come up over the years. I feel the and, same, Will. And yep. I don't I don't think I think. Uh, I really like Brandon Cronenberg stuff, but I haven't bought like both of those films, like figuratively yeah. bought them uh, that I'm like, okay, your third one or this series, whatever is going to be the like, okay. Like, I'm like, you're getting there. Mm-hmm. You're intriguing me. You're pulling things together. I don't entirely like, I don't think they gel the way that they should. Yeah. Especially not the way his dad stuff does, but, but I'm like, you're getting there. You're almost there. Just <laughs> And that's been the problem, I think, with him is it's like you're trying to compare him to his dad. Like, no one could be anywhere close to what his dad does. So um, I do get a little worried, though, that because he's calling it crimes for the future, that it means this is like his final thing, just to kind of like... What his first to last. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Which is, you know, it means he'll probably go for the moon on it, but it's like, you know, I would love for you to just make consumed and do a movie or TV show or something like that. I'll take Eastern Promises too. I don't care. (laughs) Anything. Yeah. uh, Madam Madam Butterfly versus Eastern Promises. There you go. Yeah, I just rewatched Madam Butterfly. Not too long ago. It's pretty good. (laughs) That's a jam that everyone always forgets about. It's fucking awesome. All right, well, shall we get to it? Yeah. All right, everyone, um, welcome. We are very excited for this episode. We are going to talk about... Uh, return of the slasher film in the 90s first up we have Teresa mercado who is the uh, founder and host and programmer of a great series in denver called scream screen um doing all sorts of incredible stuff favorites deep cuts discoveries all these things 
Also recently started working for Vinegar Syndrome, um, who's starting to ramp some stuff up uh, in Denver. And then uh, next up we have Keith Garcia, who's the artistic director for the Denver Film Society, also a filmmaker, um, in the works documentary or dragumentary, I apologize, The Fields Have Eyes, which I'm uh, eternally very excited for. Uh, but you know, welcome guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, All apparently right. we can really put in the lowest effort. <laughs> we have two people. Yeah, we have two people to talk more than us. It's great. <laughs> um, cool, yeah. So we, we as we started doing this podcast, we, um, stuff that falls into, I guess what you could call the slasher revival or whatever you want to, um, kept coming up and we were like, well, fuck it, why not? Let's just dive into it you know, the beginning of this wave of movies that we have put from 1996 to 2003, basically stopping with Freddy vs. Jason um, and starting with Scream. And then there is the, to some controversial, uh, Rolf Konevsky's There's Nothing Out There in 1991. Uh, we can get into whether or not things were lifted or how all of this happened from that movie. Um, and then Craven is back with New Nightmare in 1994, which really ramps up uh, the meta stuff and the postmodern humor and all of that. And then 95, Vampire in Brooklyn also kind of continues uh, the weird, silly mood that he was in, <laughs> it seems, uh, with New Nightmare. And then, of course, we arrive at Scream in 1996. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you think there's anything else that kind of led to this that was happening in the horror world? You know, I, I personally kind of feel like it it wasn't a like a, a choice of, of sorts, but like there was just such an oversaturation of slasher in that time period, like just before that time period that it just kind of like tired itself out. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the reasons we really love Wes Craven is because he was kind of doing these little spot destination points of films where we'd be like, oh, okay, because you know in, interestingly enough like we trusted him with slasher even though nightmare on elm street was technically anything but a slasher like it created the notion uh not created but it worked with the notion of a killer uh that you know weaved in and out taking out these these teenagers and stuff like that but it was such an original concept of where that killer worked and sort of that universe they were creating Whereas like, if you kind of compare the, the universes of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, they're vastly different. Um, even though both idols, both killer idols get their, uh, get to be um, these stars. Um, but I just think it was just general like malaise. I agree with Keith too. I think yeah, there was so, such an oversaturation of slasher movies and that's a great way of putting it. And without totally aging ourselves, uh, early to mid nineties, you know, there wasn't really our era of kids, you know, we were seeking out those older slasher movies from the seventies and early eighties via video stores and VHS and sometimes cable TV and USA, et cetera, et cetera. But we didn't really have like a slasher of our own generation. It was all the old school stuff that we were raised on, but you know, it still wasn't ours. And, and Wes Craven and Scream, you know, that was the first time I'd seen kind of my age people and <laughs> yeah. this is like a slasher that I relate to and they're wearing my clothes and that's what my friends look like and oh that's the boy I'd have a crush on and it just spoke to me more natural than a lot of the slashers previously that no matter how gory and 
you know, wonderful they were, they were always still dated. They weren't people I knew, they weren't people I saw, and they weren't always people that I related to. Scream like reopened that, I think, for that generation of like, oh shit, there is still somewhere to go with slasher movies and there is some fresh territory and and Wes Craven you know just owned that franchise and whether people love all the movies in or not that's fine but you know Scream 1 is it's a great film it's a great slasher movie it's a great horror movie it has an all-star cast I love it I'm a super fan that movie still holds up like incredibly well today and going back to just kind of like how we get to this point I mean obviously you know, I think most of what we see in Scream is already there in the script. So I, and I'm not going full that like this is just a Wes Craven, like, you know, brain child. But at the same time, he's building towards it. I mean, you have, especially with the 90s, he's switching. I mean, well, you have Shocker, I think, in 89, which he's already kind of doing some questioning of his Nightmare on Elm Street, like uh, dream character. And then you have, I believe, People Under the Stairs is next, which is also kind of this, like, really black comedy thing. And then, uh, then yeah, then I think it's New Nightmare. And New Nightmare really has, like, so many elements. I mean, rewatching it fresh, there's a lot of elements of Scream already there. You have the phone calls. You have the sort of, like, meta discussions of how you survive in a horror movie. You have the really touching scene um which is you know interesting for that movie but i'm very touched by the scene with her and john saxon towards the end where they start she starts confusing him as her father from the nightmare on elm street movies and she has to like kind of get back into the nancy character so you have all these things going on there and then yeah you said the the classic film vampire in brooklyn (laughs) we all know love uh and then yeah and and then we come to scream and it's it's a very interesting road to see how it gets there because like that movie is like i mean it went through a hell getting made too and it's it's kind of amazing that we got the movie that we did from it given that the wine best effort scream still happened uh-huh um, i was gonna say you know you did mention the 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 controversy of uh there's nothing out there Yes, I was going to ask opinions, hot takes, how you feel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, having I came to that film from watching the the short film Copycat. Mm-hmm. That is, you know, that director talking about their story of how they made There's Nothing Out There, how it like failed miserably, and then this supposed meeting with Wes Craven, et cetera, that then turned into years later scream i i feel like we're always in such like a a mixing bowl of of like homage to the things that we see and though you can you can maybe draw some lines between there's nothing out there and scream i i truly think it was it was just simply homage or just general if you're if you're dipping your toe into the meta waters like that's just gonna happen you could say oh we're just gonna make a movie that's self-referential and not necessarily going down the rules of, of, of horror. And also we have to throw in to the, I mean, Wes Craven gets called out in that controversy a lot, but it's like, but there was a screenplay written by someone else who may or may not have been influenced by there's nothing out there, but at the same time, Kevin Williamson never gets called out in this. And, oh. <laughs> and you know, we can look at, we can look at Wes Craven to new nightmare, which I don't think new nightmare and there's nothing out there have anything in common aside from like, even the self-referential is 
like it's meta but not in the way that we look at scream because you have Wes craven looking at his entire series like his entire nightmare series to kind of figure out well you know the only uh the only way out i suppose of that series was through and that's the whole point of of new nightmare is is you just have to take it from the beginning and create this 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 alternate reality of sorts um i still remember watching new nightmare in the theater and really kind of digging like the the self-referential meta everything and that being so fresh to me to have that going on in something that wasn't like a spoof like i was a big fan of spoof movies for years which are the ultimate like self-referential meta movies because they're truly taking down entire genres and stuff like that yeah i feel the same way with as far as there's nothing out there, um, I think I think people are are too excited to have the hot take. Not that I have not been very guilty of that in my past. I'm better now, but especially as a youngster, I loved to be the person who was like, "Nah, something else came first. <laughs> you know. But I was before you guys got on, we were even talking. We we're talking about like the earliest meta-ish horror comedy that we know of. And it was when I saw Benjamin Christensen, who most famously did Hexen. Um, he did another movie I showed at the Music Box years back called Seven Footprints to Satan. And that movie is straight up like a self-referential horror comedy, making fun of itself the whole way through. And that's like late 20s, <laughs> you know. And so right. I, yeah, I, feel, I feel like, you know, there's there's something in the air sometimes, I think more so than people actually trying to rip each other off you know, culture shifts happen and you can feel it. And, you know, since there's a humor change and people get there at different times. <laughs> and well, you know, we're gigantic fans of the comedy duo Abbott and Costello. Yes. So even then you think <laughs> of when they're dealing with, you know, the universal yeah. monsters, the monsters are playing it straight, maybe except for the mummy one, but like they're playing <laughs> it straight and you have them kind of like dealing in the genre, but you have like, I don't know, this is, yeah, obviously this has been done. You have, um, is that film The Crimes of the Black Cat? That's 72 Giallo is about them making a Giallo during this Giallo. And then you have Tan and Bra, obviously. So yeah, this is, it's in the water. So I, yeah, I don't, I don't really buy this just rip off thing. I mean, and you know, you got to look at, you know, I, I, I always think about Fright Night and uh, The Lost Boys, like around the same time where, they were vampire movies that without being so super duper meta, like that was their whole point was to kind of reestablish what a vampire film was, but also going through the notion of like, we have vampire movies and we have vampire, this a vampire that like it's, it's around. So it's, how do you be, you know, go into the, you know, people are called out things from other movies about vampires and all this stuff. Like yeah, you got monster squad, silver bullet. Yeah. 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 Like, like it's all, it's all rolling around. And I think, yeah, eventually we just, our own commentary on these movies equals self-referential everything. And if you're happen to be a filmmaker making a movie, you're going to throw that in. And I mean, isn't that what fans really want at the end of the day is they want to know their shit. They want to be watching something and, and understand it and get it and relate it back to another film that they've seen. And hopefully the filmmaker does that research too, to know who their fan base and audience is. But that's what we all want, you know? I get it. I get that. Oh, I that he's referring back to that. I mean, yeah. that's it just fuels our our horror ego. Yeah, I, I, that was a big part of, I think, what was catching on the screen because you brought up earlier spoofs. I think when the Weinstein bros read Scream for the first time, they didn't like it because they thought this is just a spoof movie. Like, I don't get it. Like, this doesn't seem scary at all. 
And, you know, they had to shoot the, the scene with Drew Barrymore. Oh, weirdly enough, I was reading Drew Barrymore, just by her interest in the script is what, yeah, like allowed the movie to get made because that was, then they were able to attract all these other people. So shout out Drew Barrymore. Because, <laughs> because that opening also, you know, we have the self-reflexive thing that's going on there, but that is still one of the most intense openings to yeah, a horror. Yeah. Make us like, fucking popcorn forever. <laughs> Yeah, it's powerful. Also, it's so brazen as they were even. Oh, Drew Barrymore's involved. Yeah, let's greenlight it. Great to kill off that caliber of star within the first few minutes. And I mean, yeah, that opening is brutal. Like it sets the tone. You're coming into a movie that you think is this spoof or is this comedy, and that shit is like, oh, we're not fucking around. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's great. You know, <clears throat> it completely flips you on your head that first time you see it. Um, that. It's, it's going to go there. It's not just like another cheesy slasher movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like hard to remember thinking of that movie and knowing that movie, not knowing who the killers are. Well, you also just said it, killers. I, I mean, oh, yeah. I was three quarters the way through the movie before I realized like, this has got to be more than one person. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I didn't know who the killer was. I thought every single person and then I was wrong each time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like I and I couldn't remember any. I mean, there probably is a a couple of slashers, but I couldn't think of a slasher that had multiple killers in it. <laughs> I just wanted it to be Matt Lillard. I didn't know at the time it was because I had a big fat crush on him, but I was just like, I want him to be on screen the most, so he should kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely not for any like actual you know figuring things out reason. I just wanted Matt Lillard more. <laughs> <laughs> and not only the person who becomes the killer, Billy, they, they really, the whole movie are just pushing you away from that notion. Watching it again, it's like comic, like how much they're just pushing you like, no, he's not. But then he just has these lines where, you know, there's the line where he's freed from jail and he's like, man, you should quit working. He's like, your post-traumatic stress is really bringing my horny levels down. <laughs> And, you know, a lot of the screenplay almost feels like every line is kind of doing this spoof on the the genre of like what we're supposed to expect from these people. Because then even Nev Campbell's like, God, you're right. I'm giving it up. I'm going to finally have sex with you because I've realized that I have. All, yeah, I've been too. It's only been a year that my mom's been brutally. Yeah. Brutal, but <laughs> um, yeah. I should get over yeah. it and yeah, hop into the sack with you. Now, you know, having grown up in my life and have actually like had sex, you know, then you see that scene afterwards and it's like, that looked like the most unfun sex <laughs> probably <laughs> anyone's ever had. You know, he's just in the corner, like tying his shoe, which is what I thought you would do after sex. Just immediately like, well, let me get my shoes back on. <laughs> um, well, and, and when you think about the timing, too, you're like, how long were we away from this moment? <laughs> right, yeah, right. Like, this, this was 10 minutes. This is, couldn't have been more than 10 minutes. <laughs> I've gotten the feeling that they're hinting that he couldn't get it up. Didn't have that? And seriously, I, there seems to be. Uh, you know what? Maybe because, yeah, because he's, I think he says something like, you know, hey, was, was that okay? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. fine. Yeah, it's true. Like, it's like. Mm-hmm. And then immediately she's like, so I'm thinking about it. You could have been the killer. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad that I have to yeah. accuse yeah, she, she had enough time to analyze. <laughs> <laughs> that 10 minutes, that's what she was thinking about the whole time. <laughs> 
<laughs> just yeah should have had sex with randy Damn. that's actually the secret guys look out in the world if someone can't get it up they might be the killer in your group that's what we've learned today mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah they're the incel way before well that is another element to the movie is kind of like those two characters of Stu and billy you know a lot of people really did try to ascribe a lot of a lot of real world horrors that started happening to those characters do you remember like after columbine i recall marilyn manson and one scene from the basketball diaries and then the scream guys as being like you all caused this like and, and, but it does add a really chilling dimension to those two characters. It does. I mean, you know, you could look at it as like, you know, this is to, this is a, a school shooting just in a different way with, you know, when Gail gets a hold of that gun from Dewey and eventually in those last, you know, 15, 20 minutes, the, the reveal of, of the killers that, that guns are, guns are essentially what takes out um, at least Billy. Mm. Um, gets a TV dropped on his head, but uh, and an umbrella, and a, yeah, and an umbrella. There's there's their penetrating uh, item, <laughs> uh-huh. which apparently actually penetrated Skeet Ulrich's chest. Um, so when you see him like in pain, he's apparently really in pain because it, he had just gotten like open heart surgery recently. So like it had, was kind of like just healing, and the stunt woman missed the vest. And nailed him right there. And I had to stop it this time to see it. Because oh like, oh, my God, he looks like he just got wow. up. He's really they didn't, they didn't put a rubber tip on the end of that <laughs> I guess they didn't, no. I would have no. also said, I still have an open incision over my heart. Maybe be a little careful with that. Like, you know, Yeah. Can we shoot another scene today? God, even just knowing he just had surgery before that movie without the stabbing is fucking crazy. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah. Open heart surgery to our heart surgery. Like that's uh you're you're coming back uh not as strong as you were. Yeah. Kind of a big deal. All right, well commitment. You that's know? definitely commitment to a role. <laughs> and he's so good in it too. Oh, and he seemed I don't know, he kind of seems like maybe he was cast because he almost looks a lot like Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean he is the he was the poor man's Johnny Depp at the time. Yeah, yeah, still is. I could probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Although maybe it's reversed. I don't know if like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. I was gonna say, give me like a sweaty Skeet Ulrich over a Johnny Depp any day. <laughs> Lately. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Early Johnny, you know, we can have the conversation, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Skeet Ulrich was like next level hot, and but yeah, that was his big thing that everybody was like, oh, he's just like a young Johnny Depp. And I don't know, he, he's on a couple uh, episodes of like Law and Order SVU, which, you know, everybody ends up there at some point. But uh, yeah, I was kind of sad that he didn't become the next Johnny Depp because I th- actually thought he could act and he was gorgeous and he kind of seemed like the full package and then he just sort of disappeared. Yep. Well, well speaking of just absolute hotness in that movie, finally we get to what I really want to talk about. <laughs> that is Rose McGowan in this movie. I mean, it was just like, being, uh, I was probably in fourth grade, I think, when this came out. So this was like, you know, I, I was really into Rose McGowan in the movie. I don't need to go into why. But not only, <laughs> she's just, I mean, she's just, she's amazing in it, especially watching it again. It's like, I mean, she's to me still like the best part of that movie. Given that mostly the 
the wise cracking cynical sidekick role usually and is kind of the thing that sometimes annoys me in horror movies because they're trying to push it too hard she nails it and when she gets it oh god it it really hurts that scene yeah well not I was always a fan of Rose McGowan from Gregor Rocky's The Doom Generation. That's yeah. where I, at least I first uh, recognized her. And then just kind of, yeah, watching her do other kind of like indie stuff for a while. And, and you know, she did eventually end up at the Weinstein at, at Miramax um, on their payroll doing small roles. She's in a Ben Affleck, like World War II. Oh, um, sure. Like at it's not a teen sex comedy, but it, it's called Going All the Way. Uh, I mean, it's uh, not. You said World War II. I was like, World War II teen sex comedy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, technically. But yeah, Going All the Way, and where she definitely played up that like pinup uh, model that she was kind of all about at the time. Um, but all the more reason when she steps into this role and you're like, oh, well, hey, she's dyed her hair blonde. So oh. she's, <laughs> she's uh, doing the job. Um, and yeah, she thankfully, like, yeah, there is always the best friend of the final girl that we, we know is going to get it. And we kind of end up dismissing them because we're just like, well, you ultimately are making some stupid choices, but in scream, which was, I think the real benefit of that, uh, that movie in not just sort of killing the genre, but re igniting certain things was like all the women in the movie were given like newfound powers and it was to just actually be be women but be like like give credit to women essentially that they not they aren't as dumb as all these movies before have painted them and so at first you're like oh she's just the dumb friend and then you're like no no no, no. she understands the situation of life and what's going on and she's actually making smart choices and yes wise cracky as hell and yeah when she when she eventually eats it like it's still not a dumb situation it's like She's fighting yes, for her life, yeah. and it's just a situation where it's like, well, who could have th- saw that coming? <laughs> that that yeah. was that that was where where this was going, and then also like, well, she was trying to do the only thing she could do, and that's squeeze out through the doggy door. <laughs> mm-hmm. And damn it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but those boobs just got too big. <laughs> Couldn't get through. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Rose McGowan. I also love her. My I think my first introduction to her was Jawbreaker. Um, oh, she's like right, a time yeah. super bitch which is kind oh. of like a modern retelling of heathers you know the popular yeah. girls and but like more intense and more extreme and they're more fucking crazy um but i always loved her and i'm also glad keith that you mentioned her bleaching her hair blonde because that was a really big deal at the time like in tabloid magazines were like <laughs> always very like critical of her body which was so fucking stupid because she's gorgeous and voluptuous and but they were always like she's teetering into like gaining too much weight jesus and then of course when she like bleached her hair and it was it was so stupid but i always loved her because she was always like taking chances and always played cool roles and she was always an actress i loved you know porcelain skin and she was dating marilyn manson um i don't know if you guys remember and I, forgive me, I don't remember, it was like probably the Grammys or something where she wore that dress that was yeah. like red. Oh, I remember, yeah. And, <laughs> but, and it was just like, wow, she's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, people love to hate her, but I've always loved her too. And, um, you know, she's, the Weinstein stuff obviously became a pretty uh, primary focus in her later life. And 
you know, she's gone on to spend her her career um, destroying them, hopefully, and and other men like that. But um, yeah, she was so fucking great in Scream and everything she's done, and had a great little niche in the horror world. And um, I miss seeing her on screen, honestly. Yeah, I was gonna say I do miss seeing her on screen. She she was. And, uh, really Teresa's the only person who's had the pleasure of seeing this in person. But uh, uh, when Scream Screen did a, uh, a f- we did a quadruple feature of all the Scream films uh, at the C Film Center. Um, I did a we we had little things set, little intermissions in between each one, and I I donned a full full drag as Tatum to do a number uh, to uh, Republica's Drop Dead Gorgeous, which is in Scream. Um, I have pictures. I'll send you guys pictures. Yeah, <laughs> please. Yeah, but but you know I could have done Sydney, but no. It was Rose McGowan. Made the right part for that. <laughs> so. Wait, yeah. can we use a picture of that for the image for this episode? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Teresa, yeah. Teresa was my ghost face. So I was, I was, I was a little lazy because it was a long marathon. So. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <It's after multi. laughs> well, hey, I mean, you guys brought him up, so why don't we just? How do we feel in the sequels? Um, I, you know, I remember the opening night of Scream 2 being such a fucking event. Yeah. Like, at least for me and my friends and everything. It was like, holy shit, turn around Scream 2. And um, which I thought was also fun in the notion of reinventing slashers is the turnaround time on Scream 2 was less than a year. Like yeah. it opened on the same date a year later as Scream 1. <laughs> And that was the old that was the old model of slasher films. It was like, well, it's got to pump out another sequel in time. We got time to write this, film this, and edit it. And you know, at the very least, we know that Kevin Williamson had already been working on a trilogy, so it wasn't that he had to suddenly figure something out. Um, but they had that team together that I think everyone was like, "Cool, we know." You know, this is the perhaps even the first time that Wes Craven was able to to say, "I want to do a sequel." Because you know, he didn't jump on board Number on Elm Street 2, or really any of them. Never forget. Which one? Yeah. <laughs> so never forget Hills Have Eyes 2. Yeah, yeah. Oh, duh. yeah. I think he maybe, loved working on <laughs> Yeah. And maybe that's, yeah, where he developed his distaste for the sequel. <laughs> um, 2's got so many really tight, like the body, even though the body count technically is higher in 2 they still took the time and I guess it's running time reflects it. Cause it's a little over two hours. Um, it, uh, each one of those, those deaths is a nice, like, like well-oiled machine of tension, like, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller's death. Um, oh my God. The, 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 the cop car accident with the pipe. Oh, yeah. It runs through where Nev and her roommate are stuck in the back and have to crawl oh. over Ghostface. Like, oh, yeah, that to me is like, uh-oh. that's like an ultimate and like <laughs> an extreme tension of stuff. Um, then let's, and then let's throw in Lori Metcalf. Let's give her some, some screen time to, <laughs> to really be, uh, really be wacky. Um, Bigger soundtrack. You got Cottonmouth Kings on the soundtrack this time. <laughs> Uh, you have the masterpiece of the Shocker song that they made for the movie, <laughs> which weirdly, I was looking into that. Apparently, they were very upset with the sales of the Scream 1 soundtrack. <laughs> Wasn't enough that they got Nick Cave to do a song for it. They're like, 
let's we, we okay so what we need is d'angelo cotton <laughs> masterpiece and tonic uh everclear Oof. dave matthews band, I mean, he's on it yeah collective soul it's a banger of a soundtrack i would recommend it <laughs> That's like a generational thing too. You had red right hands in there, but you know, kids were like, "No, oh, it's like old man Nick Cave." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, also, the second time in the in the you know, because Dumb and Dumber also uses that same Nick Cave song or Nick Cave song, "Red Right Hand." That's why right. I was excited when I because I saw Scream Two after that, and I was like, "Oh my God, it's the Dumb and Dumber song!" <laughs> I did not know who Nick Cave was at this point. I love to imagine you just like not impressed with the movie and just like, <laughs> but and then, but that's what perks you up. And you're like, oh. okay, now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> I'm on board with this movie now. Okay, since we are doing Kevin Williamson land, um, I think we should just jump to Urban Legend okay. and that trilogy. Um, the first dumb thing I wanted, like, oh my god, on this rewatch, I also truly fell in love with all three of these for maybe the first time. Because in the past, it's kind of been like number one, and then two, I had a good time, and three, I loved parts of. But this watch through, I think I'm here for all of it. Um, but my favorite, like, stupid, beautiful joke in the first urban legend is when <clears throat> Joshua, Joshua Jackson, aka Pacey of Dawson's Creek fame is playing like this, the sleazy boy just trying to get laid, uh, you know, taking advantage of someone being sad, uh, parked under the tree, you know, like a, a makeout spot for the kids. Uh, but he has a car, a shitty car that won't start most of the time. And he has to like bang the dash to get it to start. <laughs> and when he does that and she's laughing at him, as soon as he hits it, the Dawson's Creek theme song blasts through the speakers before he turns it off real quick. And it's so stupid, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and, Urban Legend like felt pretty fresh to me watching them. Like, I think I was more, I don't know why it didn't stick in the past, but this time around, I was like, these are also pretty fucking smart. Um, you know, in the, in the realm of these nineties and 2000 slasher stuff, I was pretty, I was pretty impressed. I liked me. Urban Legend. Um, yeah. When it first came out, I think I saw it in the theater. Um, and it was also smarter than I expected. Great cast. I love the opening of it to the, the driving scene. Don't turn around. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, oh, shit. <laughs> and there's a great little twist where she goes to the gas station and the dude's trying to warn her, but he seems like he's the psycho. I love Urban Legend. Oh, so good. I haven't seen the second one, but I have seen the third one, and it's terribly wonderful. <laughs> <clears throat> yep. <laughs> well, the, the second one is a uh, is they're making a it's like the film department at a college. Yeah, it's film school. It's so oh, funny. Shit, then that's the one I have seen. Where the, it's the girl making her film. Yeah. Okay, then I have seen that one. Then I haven't seen the third one. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Third one is is Bloody Mary. <laughs> it's, oh, it's right, right. all devoted all devoted to the notion of Bloody Mary. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember. Uh, when Urban Legend came out, I was excited, but this I, the excitement was based mostly on, um, I feel very strongly, I really do love I Know What You Did Last Summer, which mm -hmm. came out the year before um, Urban Legend. And I thought that Kevin Williamson did such an amazing job of not only adapting that, you know, 
odd little Lois Duncan <laughs> teen teen lit book. Um, but I honestly thought there were some some really great scream esque uh, things that that he did in that screenplay and in that film um, to really kind of elevate it. Once again, another another great chase scene death with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Um, oh. I just love that she was just game at the time. She's just like, no, I just wanna, I just wanna run and eat it. Like, I just like, let's do this. Like, um, I want to get those in in my in my uh, resume. Yeah. So I, I was so excited from I know what she did last summer, and then was like, okay, here's the next one, Urban Legend. That seems self-referential, starting some new rules. Um, I remember feeling just a touch disappointed because I felt like it kind of dipped a little bit back on like maybe some old stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't feel as <clears throat> as like that it was as fresh as it could possibly be. You know, since slashers in general are based on the mythos of urban legends, like the the babysitter notion, the babysitter call is is the essential kind of like seed that that creates this notion of of morality tales of slasher films um that i was so excited to see how this all came into play so those are all good like i appreciate the 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 urban legend spread of those urban legends <laughs> across across the the three films um i do feel like it was there was some slight laziness on some part to be like okay well we're really not we're we're, we're dipping back into um, early uh, early eighties slasher dump, just a, a hair. Like we're still we're still giving we're still respecting women and giving them a fair shot at not just uh, you know dying stupidly, but um, and putting the women more front and center um, a, a bit more. But it, there was just a, a, a just a little bit off for me on mm-hmm. the urban legend films, but just it's a, it's it's negligible that hair. I love I love that we get the whiny ass insecure male film professor for the second one. Oh my god. Can what I quote can I quote a line from him that oh, I remember? Please, please do. And I wanted to open the episode with this because it's very it's just really deep. So uh the he quotes uh he quotes a line from uh Francois Truffaut and Day for Night where he says, Hey, is film more important than life? <laughs> And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. <laughs> uh, the, the weirdest thing too on this rewatch, because I watched all three one morning, because um, I just really wanted to like see what the world was like. Uh, strongest through line outside of obviously literally urban legends, because that's what we're doing. The next thing that is most consistent in all three of them is Pam Greer, not actually being in them. But yeah, yeah. In the first two movies, we have that amazing, I'm forgetting the actor's name, but that woman who plays a Loretta Devine. Yes, thank you. I remember that one. Yeah. Oh my God. Because yeah, in the first one, she keeps getting caught like watching anytime someone comes to the security office, she's watching Pam Greer movies and like practicing moves or like holding up her gun and quoting lines. And then the second one, she's been, because they like hushed her on um, what happened at the first campus. She gets a job at the second one. And then she becomes friends with the main girl making the movie because she brings up Pam Grew to her. And then the third one, she's not in it, unfortunately, but there's this great moment where uh, one of the kids tells a woman who will ultimately help them defeat or free Bloody Mary, tells her that she looks like Pam Greer. And there's like this tender moment, but I don't know if it, I just I'm so curious where that came from and why everybody especially for Mary Lambert's third one because it's no one else involved in the series 
by the third, but she kept the Pam Greer love going. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, should we um, know what you did last summer since we started a little? We'll keep Kevin Williams in. Um, have, has everyone seen all of these movies? No. <laughs> I, I I have watched the I'll Always Know What You Did Last Summer, and <laughs> which is such a lazy continuation of a title. Yeah. <laughs> it had so much fun. With I mean, where else were they going to go with it? On, you know, the, honestly. Yeah, two does give us uh, pot smoking, white dread, Jack Black, which talk about <laughs> if movies are about images and you know that's that's one of them and and the caribbean like yeah. you don't yeah. often have a slasher set on a caribbean vacation which mm-hmm. yeah um, mm-hmm. uh and introduce gives us brandy yep. tv's moesha mm-hmm. um <laughs> right um you know i i my heart is with the first one I'm very lazily attached to the second one. <laughs> I was just kind of like, it's all right. Like Kevin Williamson not really being involved in that one. I think he was like, no, no, no. I was just trying to do this one. You didn't have to keep going, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't. And that I think that was a tough thing that was going on with these people trying to like come up with like, you know, Scream obviously sets this precedent for like, here's the, the machinations of this genre and now we're going to like move some things around we're going to switch this up a little bit i mean so much so that when they did scream 2 i don't know if you'll we brought this up yet but i think like this was one of the first times a script leak happened so scream 2 everyone knew the killer which apparently was supposed to be four killers in scream 2 oh. it, was, it was supposed to be um well billy's mom dewey uh jerry o'connell I don't know, someone else. Anyway, there's going to be four. And so, yeah, they had to like do the thing, which is pretty common now, where write a bunch of different endings so that no one, you know, in case it leaked See, again. See, if they had done Dewey, that would have been incredibly interesting and yeah. would have changed the direction of everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's yeah, an interesting I find that screenplay. Yeah. Well, that would also change, like, I think, at least for me, what makes their relationship so much fun is I'm a sucker for when truly a sub and a dom find each other. <laughs> and it's like, and everyone's like 100% consensual. It's perfect. Like, that's what tickles me about them so much. Um, <laughs> and if he was able to be a killer, that changes that. And then it's, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. All cops are killers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the subtitle of, of Scream Club coming in. <laughs> yeah. All cops are killers. <laughs> Even Dewey, he's just been playing dumb this whole time. Well, not unlike his uh, the inspiration for his character, Officer Doofus in Scary Movie, who fools everybody, which, yeah, <laughs> wouldn't go today, but. Uh, a lot of gall in that movie. I mean, I remember thinking Scary Movie was hilarious when it came out. Um, it's still kind of funny, I guess, in some spots, but you really don't need it. You know what I mean? It's just like, you don't need, like the movie, it's like, I get it when you're doing airplane and you're making fun of the airport movies or you're doing the hot shots movies, you're making fun of Top Gun or Rambo. But like for like scary movie, Scream was well aware of everything it was doing the whole time. And it is kind of strange to me how of all of it, 
you know, it birthed this whole other subgenre of like making fun of the one movie that was clearly aware of itself. Yeah. Uh, scary, <laughs> scary movie. The scary movie franchise exists in my eyes solely for the the to give a uh, Anna Faris a really great like platform yeah. to be like. God damn it. Give her something better to do. <laughs> yeah, we could have found a better thing for her, but okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember the scary movies. It was like a lot of ejaculation, right? Yeah. Wasn't that I like mean, sure. Head? Every body fluid was at play in some portion of it. Someone got a penis through the cheek. Yeah, just a lot of, it's clearly the the <laughs> the Wayans crew like was just partying together and someone decided to write it all down, I think, one night. Like, probably the party they had most days in the late 90s and early 2000s they were just having, and someone was like, guys, wait, I recorded it this time, and it's a movie. It's going to be funny if a dick went through your thumb. Yep. Holy shit. Yeah. That was crazy, because I rewatched that this year for the first time, I don't know, shit, probably since high school. Yeah. Dude, the, the, one of the Wayans brothers is like he's trying to be the ultra masculine one but the whole movie it's like he just wants to sleep with like his football buddies and he's like we're going to the showers he's like oh I love that <laughs> <laughs> that part I like that part got me, yeah. <laughs> I mean we talked Jamie Blanks a little with Urban Legend so we could do Valentine love Valentine I love Valentine as well Teresa, have you finally had gotten a chance to watch it? Because I know so I, I, I brought it to, to <laughs> one of your 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 surprise your parties. So the same um, thing is it's not streaming on anything. And yes, I know you I should have borrowed it from you sooner. So I failed, guys, on the balance. <laughs> but I know that Keith loves it and Keith has pushed it on me many times, and I'm not anti-watching it. <laughs> I just haven't seen it, and I'm very, very ashamed of myself. Hey, no need. I'm very, yeah. I'm very hippy dippy about movie watching. You're gonna watch it when it's the right time. Yeah, it'll come to you at the right time. <laughs> yeah, because I yeah. think you're gonna fucking love it. This movie. Uh, it is. Um, we shouldn't go too deep into it since you haven't seen it. But I, I, it's, it's one of the few bright shining moments to me in the like post scream boom. Like, kind of does this rom com mix into it too, which is very apt. The ending is great. Yeah, I, you'll like it. It's very, to me, it's the closest that an American team has gotten to like a giallo mm-hmm. of a sense because it's very, um, like there, there's a sexuality to it, obviously, because it's about love and those types yeah. of things. And and the, the deaths are very aimed at being a little more, there's, there's a, that brutality that giallo brings um, to some of the murders. I just keep thinking about Denise Richards in the hot tub with the drill. Oh, oh. <laughs> as I say that to you, Teresa, you're like, "What? <laughs> hot tub and a drill?" Oh. Um, She's not quite as good as in Tammy and the T Rex, but she does real good here. <laughs> yeah. um, I, you know, it's funny because I, I, I read up. I remember when it came out about Valentine a little bit, and it is actually based on a book slightly. Oh, um, there is a a a spooky i suppose christopher pike-esque <laughs> book called valentine um that i guess gets some credit of some sort in the in the film but um you know i'm a sucker for a a a masked slasher um which you know we've gotten at least through this this you know we have a fisherman <laughs> for i know to the summer uh a fencing person well <laughs> 
Wait, the fencing is is Urban Legends too, and it's a yeah. big it's a big coat. It's a big winter overcoat <laughs> for, for <laughs> wine. Yeah. <laughs> then we get yeah we get Cupid. We get a Cupid mask, which is a very spooky mask when you really look at it. <laughs> it's oh, a yeah. really good 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 idea. Um, this isn't Scream. This isn't like a masterpiece of a film, but as an entry, like it hit it hits all the places. It gives us a very heavy female cast. Um, and all, yeah, we'll all get get their moments. Um, you know, I love that Catherine Heigl is the like the Drew Barrymore of the you know the beginning, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, this big star Catherine Heigl from Grey's Anatomy. Valentine <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and then, uh, Bride of Chucky and Grey's Anatomy, the weird '90s Catherine Heigl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Marley Shelton is the other. Yeah, she's the lead. Yeah, I was trying yeah. to think. She's in Scream Four. Yeah, she's the the cop. She's the one who has a shine oh, on Dewey. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And she will be in Scream, the continuation of her character. Oh, that's fun. Like Valentine, that it watching it again this time, it's kind of a really fun Rolodex of the variety of like twenty uh, something shitty dudes. Because <laughs> like the different men in this and like all the beats they hit are like truly, you know, as you like grow up and start to figure out the different ways that people try to, you know, whatever they're, what they would call game, I guess, is uh, to, you know, trick people uh, or dupe them into dating them or fucking them or whatever. This movie has more of that than any of these, I think. Like, it's just, it's amazing because it's so many varieties of these different kinds of dudes all trying to, like, sneak one by. <laughs> There's a little, uh, it's, I mean, it's not intentional at all. It's my own reading of the film, but... Um... In like Japanese, at least like anime culture, uh, bloody noses are referential to being horny. Like, oh. like it, you'll you'll suddenly see someone get a bloody nose, and without explaining it, it just means like they're horny. Like they're that's how that's what's oh. happened. Um, but, and it's it, it's, an, it's a weird thing to notice in animes and comics and things like that. But the killer in this one getting a bloody nose all the time i'm just like to me i read that as it's like he's horny and now it's time for someone to die yeah Uh, (laughs) um, again here we go uh so yes valentine fine family fun and enjoyable (laughs) yes i'll I'll get it ready for you i'll warm it up (laughs) bloody nose on there I keep my bloody noses uh, far away from my media, my physical media. All right, well, we can dive into the Final Destination world. Um, yeah. These, I think it's worth noting. Um, I'm, at, I'm forgetting his name right now because my brain just melted. Jeffrey, what is it? Who wrote the first one? Uh, Jeffrey. Riddick? Is it Riddick? Yes, that's it. Yeah, so Jeffrey Riddick, who I was lucky enough to meet at when I was still in Denver, when he came that year, I guess, was that Mile High Horror Fest? I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Mile High Horror Fest at the Film Center um, met him and we started talking and I was gushing, of course, you know, and he signed the Blu-ray of Final Destination, but then he just unprovoked was like, hey, do you want to read the original screenplay? Do you know what this originally was about? Oh. I was like, oh shit, no idea. And that's the first, and like now he's talked about it more in interviews, but that's the first I heard. It was originally an X-Files episode that no. he was pitching. Yes. Uh, and then um, it got picked up because someone liked the idea so much to make it into a movie. But the original idea is fucking insane and so dark. And of course no one made it. 
but originally his idea was that the same death, so you know, the Tony Todd character, um, death psychologically torments these teenagers until they kill themselves. So all of them, that's why we still have like the shower scene in the first one um, that looks, you know, comes across as a suicide. Uh, But yeah, originally the whole pitch was that they'd still be these outlandish and crazy deaths, but all caused by these teenagers finally just wanting to get out. The entire Vinegar Syndrome Denver team, except for one of us, has never watched The X-Files, so we are all binge-watching it right now at work. That's what we do for eight hours a day while working, uh, is we're watching every X-Files from the beginning. How many things to look forward to? Well, what do you guys, how do we feel at the place of Final Destination in this world, you know? Because some would say it's not, a, they're not slashers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is but, because, you know, it's so funny that you, you watch them all even though there's no physical manifestation of death, it still feels like a character. Like, yeah. I, I watching them, I think like, ooh, like death, death made a choice here. Death, like death did this thing. Ooh, death got him real good. <laughs> like, um, I, so I, I do, especially if you're gonna go through that TikTok of, of you know, just going down one by one by a person and this stalking. That's the thing. Death ultimately stalks them. Mm-hmm. And then puts the the Rube Goldberg uh, <laughs> literal machinations into play for them to uh, to eventually eat it. Um, and I yes, I it rings to me, it rings true to me as a slasher film. Yeah, yeah. I think Final Destination was just clever and more complex even than to just say it is a slasher because. Now, there is that kind of supernatural, but like he said, I mean, death is is a character, though not a physical manifestation. But, you know, it's just a smarter movie than I think and franchise and they get credit for. Um, death has a design. Great. I love the idea that they would all been suicides. That is. Oh, yeah, you know, it does change that. everything. Yeah, I think it's just a more smart, clever kind of twisting around the slasher thing and going in some different directions, which we were ready for that. You know, it, it's not like dumbing it down. And, um, you know, I've never really considered it a slasher, but I, I hear what you're saying and I don't disagree. It's like, you know, we can look at it like Nightmare on Elm Street, where in the midst of typical stock and slash movies, here comes this this tweak with a supernatural element, mm-hmm. uh, the whole dream world, um, a different type of killer, like all that stuff. Like, mm-hmm. but yet still gets considered slasher because of... I always feel like it gets labeled slasher because Freddie literally slashes with his hand, but that's a that's yeah. a lazy interpretation of slasher. <laughs> yeah. And they're teenagers and yeah. the, the virginal aspect that kind of dubs in, you know, into it. But I agree. I mean, it is considering like how stale the formula seemed to be getting at that point. I mean, we've talked about how Scream 3 for the most part had comes off fairly stale i mean i think like to do it you know with the unseen death characters is cool because yeah they at this point we're seeing all these like little subgenres, you know start coming off of that because i mean there's like there's movies like idle hands which kind of like <laughs> also also with devon sawa yeah 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 devon sawa my fucking oh that boy <laughs> Someday I'm still, I've never been able to get him to say yes for any screening, but I will not give up. 
Well, maybe he's, he's like, after, you know, maybe he just needed to make a movie with Fred Durst and then now he's ready to come and do a Q&A with me. Yeah. <laughs> I see Will's nose bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, him and Allie Larder, though. Those were the two crushes yeah. when this came out and I saw it. Like, because they're both, I think they're both truly like really strong screen presences, you know, and like very good actors. And I think that's part of why this movie works so well. Is that mm-hmm. like, yes, the conceit is great. And I think I would love it even if no one was good in it. <laughs> yeah. Those are so fun. But the two of them, like, you know, leading the charge. One thing that an interesting point to make about both uh, Final Destination and um, Scream. And I actually haven't looked too deep into other screenwriters, other creators in this genre. But um, both Kevin Williamson and Jeffrey Riddick are both openly queer. Mm-hmm. And so I've always been fascinated as a queer man myself with that line that like us queer people truly love horror. Like there's a, not to test the, the horror levels of, of, of the normies, uh, <laughs> some of y'all, but like, uh, but I've always been intrigued by, by, uh, by a queer, a queer eye for horror, like where that kind of puts things. But you know, we look at at uh, Billy and Stu, and like that's another little rub yeah. that came up where people were like, "But are they together? Like, is there like a teen misunderstood sexual tension between Stu and Billy that may have come into play as well for them teaming up at least?" I think Kevin Williamson was smart enough to be like, "I'm putting a touch of something in here, but it's up to you to figure out." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what you want to see with that and maybe it was a little more overt you know maybe there was some something more overt that maybe harvey was like nope you gotta cut that out cut out cut out that cut out that cocksucking scene please it's just not <laughs> the scene right at the end before they kill everybody <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I and billy just start yucking. that's why that's why nope. billy that's why billy couldn't get it up yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, I think that that is. I actually yeah, I mean that's another part. thing. Yeah, we got to get into yeah. like why didn't he get it up? Because yeah. he's straight. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> if he, if he can talk Stu into killing a bunch of people, he can talk him into some gay sex. I think. I think that's <laughs> kind of what is happening. And it's funny when you know we think about these movies too in this era. Like, Scream set the pace with its its poster, which I know marketing wise. Um, at the time, because of the Weinsteins, they were so nervous about a horror movie that this was labeled a thriller when it came out. Like they were like, "No, it's a new thriller. It's not a horror. Movie. It's a thriller." Even though it was about scary movies, um, but that that poster with the full cast, you know, in in yeah. just looking so like fresh faced and like more part of a like a a mystery than than a horror film. <laughs> But that became literally the blueprint for every other movie every poster, poster of movies yeah. of this time was what cast that you know from other movies and TV especially mm-hmm. yeah. um, can we feature on this on this poster looking very spooky. And yeah. I remember that Halloween H2O was the same thing. Like you knew you were, you knew you were getting into something of this ilk if that's what the poster was. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Staggering them out in a particular way. There's usually yeah. the mask like right behind. Yeah, the fine art of that of of the movie poster was gone during this period. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah. Even in like really? no budget land where like uh, David Dakota at the time, yeah. gave, uh, his final stab, even though no one's in that movie that anyone's ever heard of, same shit for the poster. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for being in like video stores and seeing movies that had that. And I remember seeing Final Stab and being like, did you watch it? No, I haven't watched it yet. I, I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I have to like go have some drinks with someone later. So I'm kind of waiting till I'm like nice and lucid in the head. <laughs> and then you can get that famous Dakota. Everyone talks nonstop for 100 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll jump over another, unless anyone has any strong feelings about it, but another little piece that kind of birthed out of Scream was... Um, there was the PG-13 movies that started to move away. They tried to like make it marketable. There was like Disturbing Behavior, Teaching Mrs. Tingle. Uh, which are both Kevin Williamson. Yeah. Both Kevin Williamson. <laughs> uh, you have the Prom Night remake, which was somehow PG-13. I've never even saw that. So I mean, I it's, it's PG-13 because it literally has nothing in it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Good reason to bring that back. And then... Yeah, When a Stranger Calls. You got that in there, too. Right, that, right. That remake. Right. Oh, wow, I've totally blocked that one out of my memory. Um, you know, we have the Chucky movies. Well, I guess those aren't PG-13. Those are more in the, the yeah. you know remake thing. But then you have, um, to me, and Will and I have talked about this, it seems to kind of like peter off around the time of Black Xmas <laughs> and, um, and Freddy vs. Jason. So it kind of seems to just go out with a deafening thud. <laughs> <laughs> Teresa knows my Teresa and I share a, at least like in protecting Black Christmas as like a beacon of yeah of sweet horror joy. One great um, movie ever made. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like Black Xmas, uh, and I, someone told me I should rewatch it, and I'm like, maybe I should, but I don't want to. Um, <laughs> I just remember seeing that movie in the theater and just thinking, what a fucking abomination of everything that the, the original does so well. Something as as inspirationless as Black Xmas. And dear God, do not even go to the newer Black Christmas. You well, don't want to see it because he knew how upset it would make me. Oh, so you yeah. haven't you haven't seen it? So, he told me never to see it. It's even worse because especially well, if we're going to talk PC. <laughs> It it takes a it takes an angle that's coming from a very like, uh, and I hate it because it's a, you know, a Me Too generation style slasher movie. Um, but um, the other thing with like Black, at least Black Christmas, the newer remake, is those director, that writer and director were like, we w- they even said we went back and watched the original Black Christmas and we couldn't believe how anti-woman it was how anti-feminist it was what and and that was the thing that really angered me because i was like number one we're dealing with an abortion conversation as a main structure within the confines of this and that it's not it's totally olivia hussey's character being like i'm gonna do this and it's because of my my things that i want and then you have the the brutish boyfriend who's like yeah "Yeah." And then her life member, her, she talks about that. She has that conversation about her dreams yeah. and going on with life and being an independent woman. And yeah. It's almost like we're hitting on something like maybe the art of filmmaking as we knew it, dying. <laughs> In my top five slasher movies of all time, um, I've never, ever has it crossed my mind that it's 
anti-woman or not empowering to women at all. Um, I'm actually like very surprised to hear that. Um, I did see a remake one, it's fucking garbage. I never even saw that new one. He told me don't ever bother. Numerous people told me don't ever see it. You'll be angry. I, I'm very, uh, uh, I get in a rage very easily. So I just try to steer clear from those rage inducers. Um, I, I'm gonna go off topic very, very quickly. Going back to the Weinstein thing, Keith, that you were talking about, um, you know, going back to early slashers also with the burning, which was Weinstein's very first thing and a slasher movie and is homophobic as fuck. Yep. That's yeah. all. <laughs> this is true. All true. The true video nasty. Well, we like, to, um, we like to close shit out uh, just asking our guests if there's anything you've watched recently. Can be brand new, can be old shit you've never seen, can be something you've rewatched. Anything you've watched recently that just lit your shit on fire. <laughs> uh so kind of new news last week or the week before that lost romero uh the amusement park came out on shutter and was very excited for that and that's primo era romero um i don't know if you guys have seen it yet yes. yeah i loved it um i feel like the average person will not love it uh it was bleak and dark and abusive and oh i loved it and you know an hour it's like the perfect length and the whole PSA thing, it was great. And we did a little, um, we fired up a big screen in our backyard and we double featured that with Brian Trenchard Smith's Hospitals Don't Burn Down. Oh my God. Was what a fucking double. <laughs> companion double feature because they're both yeah. just so fucking dark and bleak and, and hopeless and there is no happy ending and human beings are the worst. Um, but yeah, that was a fun night. And uh, if everyone hasn't seen the amusement park, not sure if that's going to be on shutter indefinitely, but um, if you're a Romero completist, it's a must watch. And if you just want to see something that's kind of different for his canon, I also think it's a must watch. And, you know, it's not really a horror movie. It's just a horrific hour PSA that is um, dark and wonderful. I'm trying to think because, well, the, <laughs> as, as we look into horror stuff, um, flipped on this, this random ass movie on shutter a few weeks ago called Slacks. Yay. Um, <laughs> oh my it. God. I fucking loved Slacks. Like it's I was like, fun. I watched it because you told me too. Yeah. I was like, this is going to be just a dumb killer pants movie. And then I was like, <laughs> oh my God, it actually has a message. It yes. has something to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you both so much. Thank this you. Thank Thanks for having us. Thank you for joining us. Uh, hopefully we'll have you both back on again someday soon um if you if anyone listening according to the weird map that tells us where listeners are from we do have a couple denver people so for the three to four of you in denver that will listen to this hopefully more um you know if you don't know about the denver film society and the c film center um get on it uh, things are ramping up and you'll be reopening in October, if I'm yes. correct. October yeah. reopening. And then uh, Teresa will have some announcements about Scream Screen shortly after that. Yep. Well, yep. happening shortly after that, we'll have announcements before. But. Awesome. Yep. And well, and also, uh, of course, Teresa being a part of the Vinegar Syndrome team. Not that the Vincent junkies need to be told to look out for things, but you know, this year's going to be insane. So <laughs> yeah, we got a lot of big stuff planned for Denver. Um, 
are planning on opening a store here before the end of the year, fingers crossed. Um, And we'll definitely be teaming up with the C Film Center to do some screenings and some fun stuff there. So yeah, very excited to bring Vinegar Syndrome out west. Amazing. All right, and the one little bit of uh, brief self-promotion I will do um, in the world of Vinegar Syndrome. We are doing, at the Music Box Theater, doing a Vinegar Syndrome pop-up shop coming up on the, oh good, it's a great one, don't write down dates. Is it Friday? Uh, the 25th, on the 25th, starting at uh, 4.30, and we'll go till just shy of nine. We'll have lots of goodies to sell you. Um, you know, Come by, say hi, check it out, sell you some good stuff, and we'll have a great time. But love you guys so much. Thank you, Keith and Teresa. We'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you guys. Mwah, mwah.